Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Andrew Parker, who's the co-founder and CEO of Papa. This is a company that offers family on demand by connecting older adults and families to Papa Pals for companionship, assistance, and transportation. This is a company that has raised more than $30 million in venture capital from some of the top investors out there. They've grown to more than 100 employees and recently closed a $18 million Series B round of funding. In this episode, we go through a wide variety of topics, including how Andrew actually started this company. The story is is quite endearing and how he's grown it up until this point, going through Y Combinator, raising his initial $500,000, getting his co-founder on board, not taking a salary for nearly two years, the differences in those funding rounds that I've mentioned, and really going through the whole process of actually scaling this company even to what Andrew's day-to-day looks like today. Go through a ton of topics in this episode. And as always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple podcast. I, of course, would very much so appreciate that. And it helps more people find the show. This episode is brought to you by Pivot CMO. Whether you're a startup and you've just launched your product or a larger business, accelerate your growth with performance marketing solutions from our partner, Pivot CMO. They specialize in performance marketing solutions that have helped countless companies double or even triple in the first few months of working with them. Their boutique, extremely data-driven, and launch and iterate quickly. 84% of their clients double their revenue, and they're focused on digital marketing channels like Facebook and Instagram, Google, Pinterest, and of course, TikTok. Their founders are involved with every account, so you don't get a low-level account manager, but instead a highly skilled and experienced outsourced CMO. They've helped a number of Y Combinator and venture-backed companies along with Fortune 500 companies. So no matter the size or stage of your company, use Pivot to help with all of your marketing and growth needs. To book a consultation, visit pivotcmo.com. That's P-I-V-O-T-C-M-O.com. Without further ado, here is Andrew Parker, co-founder and CEO of Papa, which you can find at joinpapa.com. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. And I always like to start with context on the company. So with Papa, what are you doing at this company? So Papa connects older adults and families to what we call Papa Pals, who are amazing, young, fun, energetic uh, companions that provide support and assistance and transportation uh, like family on demand. And we're offered through primarily health insurance companies as a benefit to seniors and families. And with that, you always hear about kind of founder market fit. And I'm curious as to how you decided to get involved in this space, Andrew. So, you know, I'm 32 years old, didn't have much exposure to um, the elder, you know, caregiving space. At the time when I came up with the concept, I was working at a telehealth company, um, you know, called MD Live, which early in the day was uh, not necessarily a popular topic, but obviously has become. And I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and, you know, thought of a bunch of different ideas. But really what happened was my grandfather, my papa, needed support. And so for the first time, I realized like, wow, this is such a huge need that my family has. It's probably impacting others. And he didn't need bathing and toileting and some of the traditional things. And I thought, you know what, Papa would love um, a young you know, college student that could come spend time with him and essentially be an extension to the grandkids and the family. And so we did just that. I put up a Facebook post. It was not an ad. It was just a way to <laughs> connect to someone. And it worked out perfectly. And 
what I was so amazed by, honestly, was that my grandpa uh, loved it. You know, he wasn't really that excited about new things in general, uh, somewhat of a closed minded individual when it comes to those type of things and um, was really eye opening to me. So I thought, wow, maybe other older adults need this service and maybe they would enjoy it. So left my job after, you know, getting you know 10 or 20 people to use it and decided to focus on Papa full time. So started with my grandpa and now helping other papas and grandparents out there. That's awesome. And with the early days too, I love talking about that because I think it's kind of glossed over and not typically talked about with companies we see how successful they are now or where they're at at this point. But going back to those first 10 or 20, what were you doing to get those first 10 or 20 people to test it out? Oh my God, it was uh, no easy feat. And I think that's so funny what you're saying. Like everyone, you know, you see pop in the news now. It's like, how'd you scale so quick? What was the silver butt, you know, bullet? You know, how did you get to do this so fast? And you know, like I think, you know, Gary Tan, who's one of our investors through Initialize, talks about it's like 10 years to a overnight success. And so, yeah. for us, you know, I, I think my experience in telehealth helped a lot, but really to get the first couple of members was straight hustling. I mean, I called every single person I knew's uh, cell phone, asked them if they had grandparents uh, or anyone that they knew that may be interested in the product. I effectively begged uh, my friend Erica actually to let me. Uh, you know, kind of use her grandmother as our first test member, Olga. And every Tuesday uh, for, I swear to God, six months or more, you know, I would go or I would find someone to go uh, take her to get her hair done. Every Tuesday at 11 o'clock for a one hour, <laughs> I made 20 bucks and I did it while juggling my, you know, my other job. And so after that, you know, was able to somehow another older person found us on Google, or I think we were in the Herald and really just hustling. I mean, it wasn't like I put up an ad and everything just worked. It was really me cold calling and knocking on doors and going to senior facilities and, you know, really just pushing the rock up the hill. And ultimately, you know, we're able to uh, at least get enough traction to convince people to give me a little bit of money to bring on my partner who kind of understood marketing to the consumer, uh, which I didn't really know that much about and, and frankly still don't. Um, and that allowed us to get our first month going. So we officially launched in January of 2018 as a consumer service. You could download our app or go to our website or, or call us. And uh, we did $3,000 our first month. And I'm like, oh my God, we're on to something big here. It's a company. <laughs> it's a business. It's going to be rich. Um, yes. But that was the beginning of it. And obviously we've learned a lot since then. So it's, I would say hustle and grit is the number one and number two things that we do. Yeah. And there's a lot to dive into and I'm excited to talk about all of it, but going back to that time even. So what was the pitch at the time when you were first getting those, those initial people going into uh, senior care facilities, whatever it may be, what was the pitch at that time for this, this soon to be company? Sure. I mean, like when I first came up, Papa, it was grandkids on demand, like connecting older adults to college students for companionship and support. Like that was the vision in the beginning, but we couldn't get anyone to use it. Like I got the one, my friend's grandma, Olga, I got the one random person that called me, you know, from a Google ad of some sorts, you know, one or two other people randomly told their family about it, but really we didn't get any traction beyond that. And so there was a long time period where we're like, okay, we have this mobile app and it allows you to request people um, and you could review profiles. Uh, maybe we should sell the software to home care companies. Like we couldn't really figure out like if the Papa concept was the great one, the initial. And so we would kind of test out these different concepts using the same platform essentially, but slightly different, you know, kind of distribution approach. And after going in circles for a while, I realized, you know what? No one really wants what we're selling, but the four or five people that use Papa Pals 
really love it. So how do we get six and seven and eight people uh, to use it? And the pitch back then was, you know, do you need someone to drive you was a big pitch for us because we found that what we never did was bathing and toileting, which is, you know, traditional home care services. And typically yeah. people aren't going to like pay out of pocket for something like this unless, you know, the grandparent or parent is going to the bathroom on themselves. Unfortunately, you know, that's the moment when you're like, okay, we have to do something here. And so since we didn't do that, it was like, what do we do in terms of focusing on our marketing? And really transportation was the initial hook. So we'll drive you to the doctor, almost like an Uber for seniors. And that worked a little bit. I mean, it got us to probably 40 members uh, using it sporadically uh, over the course of the beginning a uh, few months, uh, but really decided to focus 100% on you know a pop appell connecting. And what we realized was, okay, the consumer business is fine, but maybe there's a better distribution channel. And my background is really selling into healthcare, health plans, health systems, like that's what I did. So um, we started to try to cold call or cold LinkedIn message or what have you, you know, large health plans. And in order to do that, you have to have, you know, a level of sophistication and a knowledge, and also they have to be able to pay for it. So yeah. we were fortunate um, about 10 months after starting Papa, like essentially three years ago, this month, um, we were able to partner with Humana as our first health plan partner. And they really gave us a shot on the fact that loneliness is a disease. And really, at the time we came up with Papa, you know, a year earlier, two years earlier, almost loneliness wasn't really considered a disease. Um, now it is like the most relevant uh, kind of discussion in health plans, like loneliness, isolation and social determinants. And so timing wise, that was very relevant. If I gave up like two years before because I could only get 10, 20 people to use the product and couldn't really figure it out, you know, I would have been left in the dust. I would have been back back at my old job probably. But um, the, the persistence and resilience, um, you know, really helped to get us to this point. Yeah. And obviously there's a lot of growth that's happened since then. We'll, we'll dive into that, but real quick, how did you get to the point of deciding to quit your job? Like how far along traction wise were you when you're like, okay, let's go all in, all in on Papa. Yeah. People ask me that all the time. You know, I, I don't know if it's stupidity or, uh, I'm naive. Um, I didn't have a lot of, uh, evidence that this was hundred percent going to work. What I did know was the 10 people or so that used Papa Pal service really loved it. And I read this Y Combinator article, you know, which we ended up going through later on, um, which I actually never even heard of Y Combinator at the time. <laughs> you know, Miami's kind of uh, sheltered from from a lot of what's going on uh, out in the Valley. But what I read was that it's better to have 100 people that really love what you're selling or, or building uh, versus a million people that, you know, kind of think it's cool and, and download it and, and don't do anything from there. And so I was like, wow, we actually have this. We, I mean, we'd have a hundred, but we had 10, yeah. uh, they are 80 years old and they loved it. So I think I just effectively convinced myself that if I was focused on it full time, I could get it from 10 people to a hundred to a thousand, so on and so forth. And I left a very big job. I mean, I was leading a healthcare system strategy at a company that I started with when they had 10 employees and the company went up to 400 employees and, you know, at the time, like 20 million members accessing the product. And wow. it was a well-known telehealth company called MD Live. You know, my father started it and I was doing very well, um, you know, from, from an income perspective. But I had no kids. I was 29 years old. Um, I had limited to no responsibilities other than paying my rent and, you know, getting dog food for Chewy, my, uh, my <laughs> pit bull. And so I said, you know what? 
I saved up a good amount of money. Um, I have what I thought was a year of savings, but <laughs> <didn't much. laughs> uh, I guess that's always true. And, you know, if I'm going to take a risk on something, it's now. And so for me, it wasn't so much like, oh, this life shattering moment. It was more just like, if I'm going to do it, I may as well do it now. And I like thought about it that morning, quit my job, uh, told my uh, head of sales, uh, who is my boss, Chuck, I'm going to start this grandkids on demand concept and a year from now, I'm going to raise money and I'll bring you on the board onto the team. And actually he now runs sales for Papa. So um, that was a really cool kind of nostalgic thing. And so for me, it was more, I I'm very, whether it's right or wrong, like confident in my abilities to like convince people that what I'm selling is an exciting thing. And it is really exciting and I'm very passionate about it and we're helping people. And so it's easy to get behind the mission. Um, and so once I convinced myself that that was required, you know, I'm, I'm very good at convincing myself of things like once <laughs> I tried, it's, it's done. Like I'm, I'm in or out, like there's no in between for me. And so once I did that, I, I quit that day, you know, I have to say, give my two weeks and, uh, started Papa. And so like you start and you're like, what do I do now? You know? <laughs> yeah. Like well, what's next? Like there's so many things to work on. <laughs> I know. So for me, I thought the first thing I had to do was raise some money uh, while trying to sell it into uh, employers and trying to get consumers. But you know, what really was the first thing I needed to do was find a real co-founder. And I was very fortunate in finding Alfredo Vamonde, who runs operations, who's my co-founder. And without him, you know, I wouldn't be here today because I'm like this crazy kind of visionary thought leader, strategic, you know, product person who does yeah. job at sales, but he makes all the things I talk about real. So uh, that's a really critical component. Um, and, and I would say a big portion of why we're successful so far. How did you find him? I would say God or <laughs> fans or luck, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I was in a WeWork. I had raised $500,000, you know, really off of a PowerPoint and convincing people that, you know, I had done some successful stuff at MB Live. I could probably have a similar business model here. There's a at the time, 10,000 people turning 65 a day. Now it's 11,000 people. Um, so it's exponentially growing problem and they need support and there's just not enough support that exists. And uh, what happened was I, other than raising money and trying to sell it, you know, at the same time and building a really shitty website um, <laughs> myself, uh, which actually yesterday in our Series B internal celebration, Alfredo talked about how crappy the website was. <laughs> Out of that website, I, I found it recently. It's still like available on my Squarespace uh, page. But amazing, I like LinkedIn. Everyone in Florida that effectively had healthcare and smart, like that's like if they're LinkedIn, like kind of promoted that. I, I reached out to them, and I'm very comfortable talking to anyone about anything. So I got in touch with this guy, and I actually, off the top of my head, don't even remember his name. And I guess simultaneously, Alfredo uh, got in touch with this guy, and Alfredo had this interesting product that was you know, helping uh, health plans and I had Papa. And so the guy um, told Alfredo and said, you got to meet Andrew. He's really good at selling health plans and he probably could give you some perspective on how to help you with your startup. And this was, he had a different startup. And so I said, sure, you know, I always love meeting people and any way I could help, that's awesome. And it's just cool to be part of something else. So he came and met me at the WeWork office. So I had a you know four person office by myself uh, in hopes to bring other people on. <laughs> And uh, he came in, I told my pop, he told me about his idea. I tried to help him. You know, I, I reached out to a couple of people and no one was biting. And I said, Alfredo, your idea is not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I think you're right. And I go, but like, you've really built something cool here. 
And he showed me his website that had like 100,000 daily active uh, hits on it in Venezuela for like a drug prescription program. I'm like, this is insane. How did you get 100,000 people on this website? And he like seemed very organized. And, you know, we seemed to have a good uh, ability to converse and we thought similarly. And so over the course of a couple of weeks, I said, hey, do you want to come into Papa as my chief operating officer? And he's like, you know, okay, maybe, you know, what do you want to offer me? So he came back the next day. I gave him a very low salary and, you know, obviously equity option. And he was having a baby like a month later. And he's like, let me talk to my wife. He comes back and asks for like a very small change. Uh, I think he wanted to be able to pay for his rent. And we just decided to partner. And I said, okay, tomorrow's day one. And he comes in and he starts drawing a SWOT analysis on the whiteboard. And I'm like, oh my God, did I make the wrong decision? <laughs> and, uh, no, I made the most right decision ever. And we've been building the team together ever since. And you know, he's my brother. So um, I couldn't be more happy about that. That's amazing. And real quick on that note, uh, just for other kind of early earlier stage founders listening, what were those discussions like around equity? I don't have to say amounts or anything, but I'm just curious on what the conversation was like with that. Sure. That can be such a hard conversation. It is. Um, first, I think it's all about perspective. I mean, you probably would think so hard about like, what if I say X percentage, are they going to accept it or panic or whatever? Typically, you're overthinking things most of the time. Everyone is, I think, about most things. So just like do less when it comes to that uh, would be a helpful uh, recommendation. I think in general, outside of startups as well, but uh, that's just kind of how I live my life. Uh, for me, I had already raised, you know, I think four or $500,000. Um, I had already had some version of something of traction. Alfredo was joking how I think we we're doing like $800 a month, you know, or I had some revenue going, you know, yeah. and I had an idea and I had an app and, I had a lot of experience. So I just thought, you know, what's what's a good place to start? And I would offer it to him. And I put it, I'm always, the way I think about these type of things is like, do a little more than you think. And that will go a long way. Yeah. Uh, versus like undercutting. And I think that's true. Like, for example, I was talking to someone this weekend about like when you go to a wedding. And let's just say like you want to give someone a hundred bucks as the gift. You give them $150. So you don't have to worry about it. Just a little bit more than you think. <laughs> Um, will go a long way. And I, I think if you do that and not obsess over, is it 8%, is it 10%, is it 12%? At the early days to get someone that's passionate, that's excited, that wants to go and build something amazing with you with really no concrete evidence it's going to work and has a family and all those things, like that person deserves um, a good portion you know, of the company, not 50% if you've started it to begin with, but right, right. Um, something that makes them feel excited because you don't want a co-founder or a head of operations coming in and be like, you know what, this percentage is not enough for me. And you don't want that in their head. You want them to come in excited and you don't want them thinking about that. So that's how I've always thought about it. And um, it's, it's tended to work with him. It worked uh, well and uh, with all of our team members, you know? Uh, it worked well. Yeah. And I, I love that you brought that up, especially because if you think about incentives and ultimately in a startup, if you're expecting this thing to grow so much anyways, a very small percentage difference, like if to throw that in, not throw it in, but you know what I mean? To make them happier uh, and really have everyone incentivized on the same page, like you said, is just worth it. And having talked to so many founders who have got, you know, done the same thing. It's like, I I heard someone recently I interviewed for the show, they said they had the conversation about equity. They kind of slept on it and came back the next day and ended up giving their co-founder a little bit more because they're like, I feel better with this. 
it's then way it's better. Like, Think about yeah. that. One or two percent actual, even five, whatever it is, at that yeah. early stage, it doesn't affect you. The company's worth zero, so don't accept <laughs> for it. Right. There's a lot that needs to go into that to make it worth something anyways. And and on that note, with the, the fundraising side, I want to talk a little bit more about that. So I understand you raised 500K with basically just a PowerPoint and being very convincing. Well played, my friend. Uh, from that then, from the situation where you raised this 500K, at what point then did you get to the point of raising like another round of funding after that? Because you had proven out this already enough to get you know, 500,000 investment. But at what point did you get another larger round then? Yeah, so uh, you know, we're from Miami. It's not like Silicon Valley where you have an idea and someone will throw you money, and you know, for them, it's they make it a bunch of small bets, and you know, you could kind of get traction that way. The people that I went to raise the five hundred thousand from never invested in a startup before, um, didn't you know know the typical like safe you know uh, type of an arrangement or convertible debt even was confusing yep. to them, and so for me also, I'm not an engineer and. I'd never built a startup before. So I thought like I need a little bit of money to just bring really smart people onto the team so I could at least incentivize them. And I didn't take a salary, by the way, for like another two years, another year and a half. Like I think I first started taking a salary when we got in a Y Combinator. Um, And, you know, I I probably um, went into a little bit of debt, but that's okay. uh, I think if you if you don't, I didn't have responsibilities. Like Alfredo was having a brand new baby. Like I felt he needed a salary. I, I didn't. I mean, I needed to be able to eat, but I had that savings I mentioned. So yeah. um, for me, we raised the 500 or so. Uh, then we applied to Y Combinator, which was amazing. And we got in. And so I think they, they give you a, a relatively small check, but it's still pretty decent. And yeah. then at the end of the program, you get on stage and you present during demo day. And then that's where we raised our first you know, official seed round. And that was $2.4 million from Initialized Capital, which is Alexis Sarpanian and Gary Tan's fund. Uh, the Alexis just recently left uh, to do something yep. else. Um, it was also Sound Ventures, which is Ashton Kutcher's fund, uh, and Gaio Siri and uh, Effie Epstein, uh, who are amazing partners today. All of them are. Um, and then I raised from like other YC angels as well. And so that was a really fun day. Demo Day is an amazing experience. Uh, we were one of the last demo days, I guess, in person at this point, which is kind of weird to think about. But <laughs> so at that point, we had um, still were in Florida uh, in terms of our service. We had been growing like 20% month over month on our consumer business. But during Y Combinator, CMS, the Center for Medicare, approved effectively social services and things like PAPA to be paid for using Medicare dollars. And that's my whole background. And so that was a big change in our strategy. And actually right after that, we shut down consumer for the most part, like we didn't advertise for it. If you went to our website, you could still do it, but really our number one revenue generator. Um, I went to Alexis and I'm like, what do you think about me just turning off marketing? It's hundred percent. The only thing that drives revenue, but I don't think consumer is the business we want to be in. I want to focus <laughs> all of our efforts on health plans. He has never worked with health plans. He has no experience there. He's more of a consumer person, obviously building Reddit. And he said, if that's what you believe in, that's what I believe in. And he believed us. And I get the chills thinking about it. Just so cool to have so many uh, great investors on our team uh, then and, and now as well. And so we started to focus 100% on the partnership we had with Humana, which came right after Y Combinator. 
that yeah that's a lot to go through uh t- the differences in, in funding for you uh obviously that seed round after y Comair was 2.4 million and in your most recent one raising that series b i was talking to uh zubin bate from um fuzzy fuzzy pet health and he was mentioning uh raising another round and uh curious about raising that series b take me through the differences with the series b from the other rounds of funding you had sure so you know, I, I like raising money to a degree. It's definitely a challenge. Um, you know, I'm like the type of person that likes being under pressure. Like that's where I feel like I operate the best. Unless we're talking about playing basketball, I'm terrible. Um, <laughs> um, but when it comes to these type of things. And so for the seed round, why Combinator on stage? Like that was as fast as humanly possible. Like that was the most miraculous day of my life in terms of like uh, the FOMO that occurs in the Valley when yeah. it comes to like white comedy or companies that are, that are getting good traction and, and doing well. Yeah. Um, it's also not a silver bullet though. Nothing is. So that was mostly off of the team and our vision and our backgrounds and, you know, a little bit on traction. Um, then we went through our a, which was much more like, okay, now they've gotten traction. Is this scalable? Have they continued to build out the team? Are they going to be able to fill what's missing in terms of leadership and uh, others on on the uh, and team members? And, you know, is this a really big idea? And so we got that uh, investment as well. But then they're looking at data. A looks at data a lot. B is like uh, a whole new world, very data focused. Obviously, the vision is important. But assuming you've gotten through those different steps for like we have a huge market, it's a huge problem and we're the right team to fix it. <laughs> yep. That's important, but then like, okay, and we have the data to prove that we are actually fixing it. So they're looking at financials very, very closely. They're looking at data very, very closely. Obviously continue to think about the team and make sure that, you know, we're the right leaders to lead this forward. Um, and we did it during a pandemic. So, yeah, you know, for a senior service. So it's, <laughs> no, no, uh, you know, talk about putting pressure on. Um, but, you know, to go through that is, I think, been an interesting experience and i would say we're coming out the other side of it uh, in a really positive way but the b just as you go up rounds data becomes more important yeah the metrics and the growth that they need to get to that next level and obviously the the, the massive returns they're looking for in the venture world. And to take a step back, I wanted to showcase that fundraising journey to tell people where you're at now and understand where you got to but going back to the early days of those first 10 customers where did it grow from there? Like, what were you doing at that time? I know you mentioned kind of turning some things off on the consumer side to focus more on health plans, but I want to know about the growth going from, you know, your 10 customers to hundred, whatever it was uh, that you grew in the next kind of period of time as well. Sure. So uh, when we launched, you know, the consumer service, uh, we tested a bunch of different ways to market to consumers. And as I mentioned, I'm not a marketing consumer guru, but Alfredo uh, was and is still. And so we set up different campaigns and a lot of testing. I mean, we didn't have millions of dollars to test with, but we did have some money uh, to test. So we did, um, you know, a a slew of landing pages. We did Google ads, we did Facebook, we did Instagram, we did, you know, cold calling senior living facilities, um, every different which way you could think of in terms of trying to get in touch with the consumer. And we were getting a little bit of traction. Um, and as I mentioned, we were growing like 10 or 20% a month over month in Florida alone. So it seemed promising that, you know, if we could expand to other markets, there's a lot of opportunity. Uh, what we found was the best thing in the early days for us, considering 
we didn't know early whether it would be the seniors using our product or their kids using it on their behalf to request it for them. Yeah. And what we found actually, since we're not home care, we're kind of this pre-care space. Um, we actually were starting to market directly to the senior, which is interesting in itself. So we found Google ads to be the most valuable for us, but seniors have like very long tail, you know, searches. It'd be like, I'm Margaret. I have to go to the doctor this week. My husband is in a wheelchair and I don't have a car. Can someone take me at 9 a.m., please? And that would be their Google search. Oh, wow. <laughs> so very low the long volume. tail for sure. Yeah, very low volume, very long tail. Uh, kind of funny, some of the things that would pop up, but that helped us. And what we realized was, okay, the app is not important for the seniors. The app is really important for the pals. And so we had to make that system better. Um, and then an administrative tool for like our call center, because we found that the seniors would call us, and not download an app, not really go to the website, sometimes fill out a contact form and ultimately, you know, started to focus on that. And so that got us to our first several hundred customers. Um, but then we realized the unit economics were terrible. Our LTV to CAC was as upside down as it could be. Um, you know, though our top line revenue was going up, we went from like 3,000 to 6,000 to 20,000, so on and so forth. Uh, but I was always dreaming of going to health plans. I mean, that was what I wanted to do from the beginning. I even recently found my business plan, which was actually written way before I even met Alfredo, um, where it says like Medicare Advantage is this huge market for us. And that's where I'd like to get to and employers as a benefit and ultimately expand beyond seniors. So like everything we're doing now was kind of the original plan. Um, and consumer was just a means to get there because it's hard to convince human or Edna or whomever to work with you if I couldn't get, yeah. you know, your grandparents to use us one time. So <laughs> <laughs> um, that once we saw that CMS was approving companionship during, um, during uh, Y Combinator, I shifted personally 100% of my focus on selling Papa to health plans. And I'm that's that's my background, selling into health plans. So cold yeah. call, cold emailing, LinkedIn messaging, um, reaching out to people that I knew that knew other people potentially, like doing all those kind of, you know, business sales tactics that you could possibly think of and uh, doing it in a way that was almost aggressive, uh, you know, not in a weird way, but like really pushing people to try to think about Papa. And then one day I saw Humana had a big article about their bold goal initiative, which is this you know, amazing initiative to uh, reduce unhealthy days, which is a CDC term, and to improve um, uh, social determinants by 20% by 2020. Uh, and, you know, of course, that goal has continued beyond 2020. But I saw this article and they referenced someone's name in it. And I actually find just as a good tactic when you're thinking about sales, if there's a topic that comes up in an article, there's typically going to be a quote. And generally the person that makes those quotes don't get cold called. And so if you reach <laughs> out to them, they're going to be generally kind of responsive. And so I reached out to her. I think her name was Melissa. Um, she was in South Florida and ran the Broward County Humana program. Got in touch with her. She's like, oh, this seems cool. You know, of course, we're looking at social isolation as a big topic, as you saw in the article. And she kind of just blew me off. Then I got in touch with the Herald, uh, which was, you know, the Miami Herald and got them to do a story about us. And actually, Olga, the original member that I talked about was the one they did yeah. the story on. So I had some people to do stories on because the consumer piece was so critical to get to that next step. And uh, she ultimately saw and said, oh, I just saw you in the news. And then I met you know, with this physician who worked with Humana, who worked with Melissa. So it was like <laughs> kind of convoluted, you know, 
six degrees of Kevin Bacon type thing going on. Right. And uh, ultimately uh, was able to get in touch with the head of the Bull Goal Initiative, presented Papa. And I, I worked at MD Live where we worked at Health Plan. So I'm very familiar with presenting to them in the way they're used to seeing. Ultimately convinced them to do a pilot program. I was actually in San Francisco on my laptop on the Mary, at the Marriott, like right downtown there, um, presenting to them where they said, okay, we'd like to move forward. We came up with pricing and uh, ultimately launched our first uh, health plan partnership in October. And that program was so wildly successful. It had every metric that we promised, which honestly surprised us even. And, <laughs> uh, we were able to you know, convince them to continue to progress with us. And right as that happened, CMS approved some more things around companionship. And so that's how we went from just one health plan to pretty much 10 uh, pretty quickly. I essentially kept cold calling and kept referencing. And then uh, we had some money in the bank right about that time period. So I was able to convince uh, Chuck Hector, my head of sales, to join shortly thereafter. Um, and we've been building a team ever since. Andrew, one thing we haven't discussed yet, which is a very, very critical component of this, is the PALs and the platform. I mean, how are you growing that side of side of things and what are you looking for in, in these people as well? Yeah. So a pal is an extension of, you know, what, not to be like too much about myself, but it's really an extension of, of what I am as a person and Alfredo too, frankly. And um, it's a young, fun, energetic person that, you know, is talkative and engaging, but also trustworthy and honest and has a clean driving record and you know, also a, a clean uh, background check. So originally it was college students. We thought it was a great way to kind of create this grandkids on demand concept. And it works super well because it it removed us from being a caregiving company, which we don't want to be. We don't want to be a bathing and toileting service. There's plenty of those out there and they're necessary. But we really wanted to create this new thing that seniors want, where uh, they're able to call us on their own and connect to us on their own. And they're truly independent, where they don't need all of their family to be involved. And by making it somewhat of a grandkid on demand, it doesn't feel like they're being cared for, though they are being supported. It just yeah. feels like another one of their kids or grandkids or an extension of their family is coming to hang out with them, you know, hang out and help out. And so for us, really, we went through a process to think about how do we find the best pal? And we just always are iterating on it, even to today, but it's looking for a personality through a personality test. It's background screening. Sometimes it's drug testing now because of client requirements. Um, it's car uh, requirements and all of these different things. And then we train them on the platform and then, of course, how to handle certain situations. And then we have a team that's available to them. Um, so we have really enabled a new type of care, uh, which yeah. is really exciting because you know, people like my stepmom would never be a caregiver. But by removing bathing and toileting, it's opened it up to really the masses. I mean, you know, even you would be a great pal. It could be a phone pal. It could be a video pal. Or it could be an in-person pal, but it's really just hanging out with seniors, yeah. Uh, which is which is relatively easy, like ninety-nine percent <laughs> of the time. Uh, but just having them, someone to support them, and then the platform has to make it automated and make sure that the logistics work and improve the efficiencies and the unit economics. So we built an incredibly robust platform. We have you know eighteen engineers now that all day every day are building logistics features and leveraging data to improve the experience and. It's you know quite robust, um, but it really starts with something super super simple. I mean, I'm a very big fan of you know Coral Walk Run or MVP, as I think it's uh, more popularly called now. <laughs> yep, uh, my dad called it. Uh, he's an entrepreneur as well, so he, he's always called the Crawl Walk Run. But <laughs> um, <laughs> they didn't have like the lean startup methodology, you know, in 1995. So 
Um, that's how I thought about it. And our first thing was they called a Google phone number. It was my cell phone. And then I would text 20 Papa Pals. And um, if they weren't available, I would go. And so that's become obviously more robust and automated. And um, the tech is a really big component of this. And um, you know, now we're nationwide or about to be, and it's um, a lot of moving pieces at once. And without tech, it'd be impossible. Uh, but in the beginning, yeah. that's not true. And, and Andrew, take me through then with with COVID, how that affected the business, how you pivoted in this way as well with with this crazy situation we're in now. Yeah, it's an interesting time period. Um, you know, as I've uh, read, uh, and I'm sure you have, a lot of great innovation comes out of uh, this type of a situation. Um, and so I feel pretty excited about where we've been able to, I wouldn't say pivot, uh, but enhance. Yeah. And so Papa has always offered in-person services and I'm really, I have a telehealth background, um, which sounds you know very cool now, but it wasn't so cool when came up about <laughs> that year ago. And uh, so virtual has always been part of my DNA. And you know, my dad and I would always talk about, we got to add virtual, we got to add virtual, but I would always argue, well, that's true, but seniors aren't going to use it and they want the in-person and, um, you know, to get them to change that behavior would be pretty hard. And I would jokingly say, you know, even back in the day while at MD Live, the number one way to drive telehealth adoption is to make everyone sick. And it was more of a joke, um, but it was a joke, meaning like I didn't want that to happen, oh, but I oh, right. way. And it, of course, that's ultimately what did happen. And the same thing is true for seniors because you know, now they're saying, you know what? I am lonely. You know what? I am isolated because everyone is isolated. I mean, you're supposed to be at least yeah. um, the pandemic. And so they're now saying, you know what? I do want to talk to someone. I do want to do a video chat. I do have an iPhone that I want to learn how to use. That's obviously not that complicated, but I've never you know, put an effort to make it work. And so today we're doing thousands of virtual visits uh, a month, you know, many thousands um, growing at a very rapid pace. And so what we did is we turned on virtual visits. So today we're doing virtual and in-person services. You know, some markets we're not doing in-person at all. Some markets, you know, we are very uh, secure safety measures following all the CDC guidelines. But, you know, some markets, some states don't have any uh, or very little COVID impact, um, you know, outside of the major cities that, that we're aware of. But um, so what we did is we had virtual and we got our health plan partners to agree to it. And it's actually enhanced our platform. And. Now we're adding some more exciting things as part of that. And um, for us, you know, similar as when I quit and like people asking me about like, how did I do that leap? It didn't feel like a leap to me. It just felt like the next you know thing to do. Um, I was in Colorado when COVID was really at its peak. And I was remember being in, you know, uh, in the location I was staying and calling Alfredo and without hesitation, not worried about Papa failing or anything like that. Just saying, hey, we need to turn virtual. The time is now. Let's get started. And 72 hours later, we launched virtual visits. And, uh, you know, we haven't looked back ever since. That's that's incredible. I mean, what has been the, the reaction to that? I mean, what has been kind of what you're seeing from this turning this new part of the business on? It's been amazing. It's enhanced our program from a health plan perspective. We're able to drive more healthcare outcomes. We're able to help people on a more consistent basis. Like just because you don't want to see someone in person doesn't mean it's not valuable. What if you are an older adult and you're lonely and you don't have a car and it's the pandemic and you don't have your blood pressure medicine and you're scared to leave your house? A yeah. pop-up pal can find out that information, which typically the health plan doesn't know until something goes astray. And they could say, oh, did you know your health plan offers a prescription drop-off? And I could actually go pick up the prescription for you and drop it off at your house in a contactless way. 
And so there's like little nuances to the needs of older adults and Papa Pals cover those virtually and in person. So for us, we found 40% of our older adult members want to go from telephone calls uh, to video chats. And all of them uh, in that 40% have access to uh, technology that allows that modality, whether it be a laptop or a computer or an iPhone or an Android or an iPad. Um, so we've been transitioning older adults onto uh, video, which has been really exciting. And I think, uh, you know, the cat's out of the bag with digital health in general. And I think also from a behavior change perspective for older adults and, and really everyone, uh, the rise of telehealth, the rise of what I think of as virtual companionship, uh, the, the need to support people's social determinants has never been more evident. And it's only been exacerbated by what's going on in the world today. Andrew, with this now, I mean, you've obviously come a long ways with with the company and even being a first time founder. What's been uh, the kind of impact or the 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 support you've gotten from your investors along the way? Obviously, there's a varying level of how uh, hands on some investors are versus others. I'm just curious about how they have been helpful, impactful along the way as you've built this, you know, gone through your Series B at this point. So I've been very fortunate, and it wasn't necessarily by chance, um, though. Obviously, I think that that does have a pardon it somewhat, but generally I've been really thoughtful about who we partner with and I couldn't say better things about every single one of our investors. Um, you know, for the most part are very available to me, uh, and the team, they're always wanting to help. They're always evangelizing, but they're not telling us how to run our business. They trust in me. They trust in Alfredo. They trust in our leadership team and, you know, really even down to the, uh, Papa pals as well. And really, they're investing in, in us to build this business, not them to build this business. And so um, I've been fortunate to, to have the right people around the table. And I think what we've done really well is have investors that have different perspectives, you know, some yeah. that are consumer focused, some are marketplace focused, some are data driven, some are, um, you know, healthcare focused, some are more strategic and every one of them have a different perspective and it's super helpful. Some are more financially driven uh, that helps as well. So we've been super fortunate. You know, it's easy to say, be very thoughtful, like obsessive over who you're going to choose. But at the end of the day, you also need money to grow a business. So uh, right. it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. Um, but I'm, I feel really lucky and uh, hope to continue down this path with great investors. I am a first-time founder, but I will say I feel like I have a little bit of a leg up. You know, my dad um jokingly said he never had a job but he, he really never did um he actually had one job at 15 working at a fish store and he had some fun stories about that but since then he's been building companies you know not always venture-backed companies but early on created a movie distribution company that became the largest movie distribution company in the country like every movie you bought other than blockbuster probably was in some capacity through him so i saw every day my dad hustling and trying to build something from something that you know didn't exist and then yeah. again he did it with going from movie distribution, like which is as old school as it gets, to uh, healthcare with telehealth. And then I got a chance to work at MD Live when it you know, really boomed. So though I was not a founder prior, I kind of think of it as I was in a sidecar. You know, my dad never uh, threw a football in the backyard uh, with me, not because he wasn't a good dad, he was an amazing dad, but really taught me about building businesses and EBITDA and all these kind of weird things. <laughs> 10 year olds would fully understand. But uh, frankly, all of that has helped me uh, get to where I am today. And I also saw what not to do. So I think I've learned a lot from other people's mistakes. I mean, obviously my own, but more so I would say from others. And I've just been fortunate to 
uh, come around uh, or be raised around uh, entrepreneurs. So my grandpa, Papa was an entrepreneur. My uncle is an entrepreneur. All of my cousins are entrepreneurs. I don't know what it is, but uh, some own jewelry stores, some are own doctor practices, some own, you know, huge companies. And so um, that's always been helpful for me. I, you know, I never had a parent that, you know, had a nine to five job. They always had this like kind of weird 24 seven thing going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to def definitely influence you to be like, okay, I can start something. This isn't a, a strange thing because all these people I know are doing it for others. I mean, it does seem strange where you're it like, does. they've never seen it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and and my dad had a risk way more than me. I mean, he didn't have, um, he did have kids, you know, when he started his company, yeah. I was one of them. Um, and, you know, times were not always great, you know, when I was little and um, it's not for lack of trying, but it's hard. And, uh, you know, sometimes luck is involved. But I will say watching that as really not I, it would have been more strange getting a job to me, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do I do? How do I make a resume, Dad? <laughs> yeah. And um, it's funny, I applied out of college to 400 companies and I had a decent resume. I went to school for finance at a pretty good school. And. I had internships and all those things that you're supposed to have and no one would hire me. And I found the constant uh, like feedback was, well, we just think you're going to be an entrepreneur and you're not going to be here long. And I guess they were right. <laughs> I did ultimately end up getting a really, really terrible job uh, doing door to door cold calling in the Miami heat required to wear a suit, oh, a $500 phone system that no one would want to buy. Um, you know, no matter how good of a salesperson you are, but it, that teaches you a lot too. And, you know, how to how to hear no so many times, um, even early you know my career has uh, been very helpful for me. So it's been a fun run so far, but I think we're just getting started. So your lesson to everyone is to sell five hundred dollar phone systems in Miami is the key <laughs> to success as any entrepreneur. Well, now we know. Well, I actually broke my leg. Remember, I told you I was terrible at basketball. Well, that was yeah. probably the last time I played. Um, I broke my foot, sorry, and I, I had to quit my job effectively because it was a door-to-door -door job, not a cold calling job. So like literally, oh man, I literally couldn't do it. Uh, but I ended up getting an amazing opportunity then because finally I had like a worthwhile sales resume, and so I got a consulting kind of sales leadership development program opportunity with AT and T. It was amazing. It was a six-month program in Atlanta. And they taught you consultative sales, and they taught you. Um, public speaking, which was intense. They'd get you in a room with 150 people with a suit on and they'd be like, Andrew, stand up and tell us why AT&T is so great for 10 minutes. And you're like, you're like 21 years old, like freaking out about it. And um, <laughs> after doing that a bunch of times, you get good at it. And then ultimately uh, my dad started NB Live. He wouldn't hire me though. He refused, but effectively I met Chuck, who was the head of sales. And, you know, over the course of a year, we effectively said, you know, Chuck said, I'm going to be on his team. And though my dad didn't necessarily approve. He always wanted me to figure it out on my own, which is awesome, I think. Um, I, you know, I started working at MD Live. And then when I started being really good at, at that job, um, you know, everyone was pretty happy I was there and, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, you proved yourself. And it's interesting that you say, basically you've gone outside your comfort zone a lot early in your career. I think it seems to have had an influence on what you're doing today with, with Papa. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to start now at this point in the company, you know, having see great investors on board, you raised like 30 million, something like that. Like, what are some of the problems you're thinking through today now? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because every, like Papa is having to effectively level up like quite rapidly all the time. And my job is changing like super rapidly. Obviously yeah. what I did early on, like literally calling consumers, seeing if they wanted to sign up for Papa and collecting credit card over the phone. 
you know, isn't my day to day as much anymore. Um, though I do still cold call because I think it's a very important skill I never want to lose. Um, and it's one of my favorite things to do. And I highly encourage people to do it. And even if you feel uncomfortable, it's part of part of doing this. Um, now I think about a lot building a great team, um, supporting my leadership uh, organization, um, you know, thinking about new strategies and products and how to grow really big and fast and do it with quality and integrity. With that as well, on, on that team front of, of things, I mean, what are kind of either the values or culture or things you're looking to build at Papa? Because for other entrepreneurs who already have businesses and are running these, uh, that's a lot. That's something to obviously think about, and it happens early on. It's really how you build that. But I talked to someone recently. Uh, it was Carl Almar from M13. But when he was at, I think it was Digital Ocean, or it might have been his other company, they basically had to redo their whole culture. Uh, they basically fired a bunch of engineers because they're losing so many. How do you think of the culture side of things uh, at your company? Culture is wildly important. I mean, think about what we do at Papa. We literally are trying to cure loneliness and provide companionship. So yeah. we're not good at uh, doing that with each other internally. Uh, we're not going to be good at doing that with our customers. And it's really important to me. I'm probably not like a typical CEO. Like I don't think of myself as any better than anyone. It's we're all for one, you know, one for all. And it is a little bit corny here. I mean, we provide kind of this interesting service that's like a loving, caring, thoughtful thing. And um, culture is super important. So we actually have a culture committee that we've had since day, you know, maybe maybe six months in uh, when we had our first couple employees. Yeah. We've had a culture committee. Uh, and actually the people on the culture committee back then are still on the culture committee now. And then what we realized is that we, as we've grown, we don't want the culture committee to just be the six same people, you know, in the way they think about it. So we've been adding kind of randomly people to the culture committee meetings every uh, which it's every two weeks now. And it's a really critical component. It's not only thinking about like, what events do we do? How do we keep in touch with each other? But it's like, what are our values? So actually this morning, uh, interestingly enough, we went through like a very robust PowerPoint presentation that talks about our, uh, I think 11 values. And it's really important to us that people are good people, that they're honest, that they're trustworthy, but they have fun and everything's not as serious as everyone makes it seem. And uh, yesterday we did an internal series B celebration over zoom and, um, we you know, had champagne and everyone was sent a box and, you know, we're, we were sent into like randomized breakout rooms of five people. And every five minutes it would randomize, put you into another breakout room and yeah. pop a pop up pals where you're connected to a random member of the team. So you get to meet each other. I mean, we have 120 employees now and we've gotten really pretty big, uh, from a team perspective pretty quickly. And. Uh, as we grow, I want to maintain that. And I think open communication and being truly authentic is super important. Like we're not forcing culture. It's just we have a great culture because we have a great culture, you know, and we yeah. are put some structure in place to ensure that it happens at scale. Um, but frankly, I don't think many companies have as much of a loving, friendly, caring kind of culture the way we do. And maybe I'm maybe I'm naive, but I don't think so uh, in this topic, which is everyone really loves working at Papa and it's important to me. And if they don't, it's important that they tell me and they will not get reprimanded or anything like that. I'm as open of a book as possible. I'm part of a shoe uh, club at Papa. We have movie <laughs> events. Um, like I'm in this, like just for kicks thing where these guys are and, and women on the team are buying like sneaker heads. And it's really important to me that um, some people are in the call center. Some people are on the executive team. Like, no one's better than anyone, and we're all one for uh, for Papa and the mission and, and each other. 
Yeah, and it's, it's something where inherently because of what you're doing, I think as well, and what the business does, but what Papa actually does and helping seniors and other people, you know, with with solving this like loneliness issue and problem, it it, it probably uh, you know attracts a certain person to work at Papa anyways. Uh, yeah. Someone who does have a certain kind of mission and understands that, which I think something to be said for the type of business you get into and the type of problems you want to solve. And I just have a couple more questions here. Yeah. One being on uh, you mentioned being an open book. On books themselves, though, <laughs> are there any in particular personal or professional that have been kind of impactful for you, Andrew? Uh, yeah. So what's funny is historically, I was not a big reader. Um, and I think as I've gotten a little bit older, uh, I, it's become really, really important to me. Uh, a book that I really love, which is arguably not a book, but it's actually called Meditations by uh, it's a journal effectively by Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor, like around yep. Caesar time. And it's effectively like little journal entries and just about ways to think about being stoic. And I don't think you should have no feelings, but I think it is important to be able to handle adversity and things that go wrong, um, which does happen quite often, obviously, yeah. and to be able to do that with a positive outlook and not let it bring you down. Like, for example, if I drop a glass and break it, I could get mad at it, but getting mad at it would just lend more uh, you know, to the fact that they broke. So instead I could just either fix it or you know, kind of move forward. And so, that's a very simple example, but Meditations by Marcus Aurelius is, is a book that I'm a very big fan of. I listened to the Audible book and read it twice. Um, and sometimes <laughs> I pick up paragraphs and I'll read them out loud to my girlfriend or someone on the team. Um, the Lean Startup is a very helpful book uh, for me and I really enjoyed it. And it just, to always think about MVP, 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 like, of course, there's so many ideas I have, but to not act like I know everything or anyone on our team knows anything and they know stuff, but I mean, like you don't know the answers always. And so to leverage the community and a, a feedback loop is important. So the lean startup is a book I really like. I'm actually reading 1984 for the first time right now. <laughs> nice. I think this is back to the point that I wasn't a big reader. Like, I think I probably just skipped that part <laughs> back then, but I'm becoming a better student now. And that book is wildly relevant to today. And it's kind of scary, actually. So yeah, um, I just started reading Devil in the White City, not necessarily a uh, business book, but I do sure. think it's important to pull away from that. I also uh, really like, you know, any book about really impressive leaders. I read the Steve Jobs book, the Elon Musk book, uh, the Shoe Dog book. I personally relate more to uh, Phil Knight than yeah. any of them. I'm, I am very smart, but I'm not Elon Musk. Yeah. You know, there are and, very few that are. <laughs> yeah, one or maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe just him. But uh, you know, I think it's important to get perspective. I'm I'm obsessed with perspective. I think it's probably the most underutilized, like philosophical concept in the world. And if we could just realize that you may have an opinion, but per, you know, everyone has a perspective. Uh, it's really important because uh, their perspective may be different, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. Yeah. And with the meditations book you mentioned, if you like you know, Stoic philosophy, The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I read that actually. And I just read um, something else by Ryan Holiday. I forget the name of it. Yeah. He's got a few of them, but that, that's one I, I just read a page a day because it's a daily thing. So uh, I, I've gosh, gone through that probably three times now uh, in terms of that. But it's just the reminders every single day to get you back to a good mental state constantly, I think is important. And, oh. and one of the last, last things I'm wondering about, is especially with where you're at in the business and uh, how you know, all consuming entrepreneurship can be, is how do you recharge? I meditate. I work out a good amount. I ride my bicycle. Um, I also uh, don't let things weigh on me. So I'm able to, and I think some of it's naturally, so I don't want to pretend like I read a book and it just happened. Um, 
I've always been able to like handle a lot of pressure and stress and like, it's just part of my nature. I think it's because my family's a little bit stressful and we have a lot of entrepreneurs in the house. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> interesting kind of a holiday uh, around the table. But I would say for me, exercise, hanging out with friends, spending time with my girlfriend and my dog, um, watching movies. I really, really love movies. I mean, growing up with a dad who started a movie company, yeah. um, you know, that, that also was a path I thought about, but then I realized I'm not a great actor. So Mm. Uh, don't take everything so seriously. Things are not going to always go right. And if you're able to do that, and I know it's easier said than done, it can bring a lot of value to your life. Andrew, where can people go to learn more about Papa and connect with you as well if they want? Joinpapa.com uh, is the number one place to find out about Papa. I always recommend uh, people LinkedIn me. I'm the most responsive human being alive. And I uh, maintain that uh, to today. And I think it's important to never be too important for anyone. Um, and so I am very responsive. Obviously, if you send like some sort of weird candy email, no, but if you're just like a normal person and say, hey, you know, heard about you on the podcast, would love to talk about X, Y, and Z, I'm going to be pretty responsive. Awesome. I really appreciate that, Andrew. And thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Pivot CMO. Whether you're a startup and you've just launched your product or a larger business, accelerate your growth with performance marketing solutions from our partner, Pivot CMO. They specialize in performance marketing solutions that have helped countless companies double or even triple in the first few months of working with them. They're boutique, extremely data-driven, and launch and iterate quickly. 84% of their clients double their revenue, and they're focused on digital marketing channels like Facebook and Instagram, Google, Pinterest, and of course, TikTok. Their founders are involved with every account, so you don't get a low-level account manager, but instead a highly skilled and experienced outsourced CMO. They've helped a number of Y Combinator and venture-backed companies along with Fortune 500 companies. So no matter the size or stage of your company, use Pivot to help with all of your marketing and growth needs. To book a consultation, visit pivotcmo.com. That's P-I-V-O-T-C-M-O.com.